0: If you're joining us on our live stream today, thank you for joining us. We're glad that you're online, and we sure love you, miss you when you're not here. We're praying for many uh, that are home today. Some are uh, feeling ill. We're praying for you as well that uh, you would heal up quickly and get things back to normal. Isaiah chapter number nine in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter number nine, if you'll turn there, that's where our passage is going to be today. Our message is from Isaiah chapter number nine in our series, Home for Christmas, and my message today is titled "The Greatest Homecoming Ever." Isaiah chapter number nine, and we're going to look at verse. Uh, we're going to look at verse uh, six and seven. Isaiah chapter number nine, verse six and seven. How many of the Noel, the first Noel is your favorite song, one of your favorite Christmas songs? Many. I know it's one of mine too. It's such a beautiful song. I love Christmas carols and I'm glad that we get to sing them for a little bit. Anyways, so Isaiah chapter number nine, look at verse six with me. For unto us a child is what? Born. And unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, notice verse 7 of the increase of his government, talking about this son, and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of who? David, and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice, from henceforth, forever and ever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I remember the first time I met Santa Claus. I remember that first interaction with Santa Claus. I was at my aunt and uncle's house and I remember we were there and there was people there, you know, doing all kinds of things. And I remember Santa Claus came through the front door. And honestly, at first I was a little bit dumbfounded. He was a lot younger, a little bit thinner than I anticipated, but here he was and he had his sack and I remember as a young child, I don't remember how old I was exactly, but I was pretty young. I remember he came to me and he said, What do you want for Christmas? And I told him a specific toy. Now, I don't remember what the specific toy was. I'm pretty sure it was a transformer. Where are all my transformer people at? Amen? And I asked, I'm pretty sure it was a transformer. And guess what? Lo and behold, out of the magical sack came a brand new transformer. I was shocked. I mean, I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe it. It was magical. Fast forward a few years later, and my parents informed me of the terrible news, that that was all a fantasy. I had been lied to. I had been duped, and my parents were a part of that lie. You could go to Bass Pro Shop today and find Santa Claus there, sitting in his magical seat with a plastic face mask, surrounded by a protective plastic plexiglass, My son, we walked into Bass Pro, my son said, look, it's quarantine clause. (laughs) I promise you one thing. If you sit on that guy's knee today and you tell him what you want for Christmas, you had better tell somebody else or you're not going to get it. And how many know what I'm talking about? No man, no mortal man has the ability to see into the future. No mortal man has the ability to know what we want, what we don't want. We understand that today. But 700 years ago, a man named Isaiah, he was a prophet. And Isaiah had the power from the Holy Spirit to predict the birth of a baby 700 years before it happened. And he wasn't the only one. If you study the Old Testament, you will find between 50 and 100 instances, some people more, some less. But many instances in the Old Testament were specific Predictions were made that Christ would come, he would be born, the location of his birth, and all the circumstances that surround it. And every single one of those predictions came true down to the very detail. This is really the magic of Christmas. The homecoming of Christ. This was the greatest homecoming ever. Christ came to earth. And for you and I that are saved today, if you're not saved, I pray that you will be saved today. But for you and I that are saved today, this is the miracle of Christmas. This is the magic of Christmas, the greatest homecoming ever. Father, I come before you today as we study this, this passage of scripture and Lord, we learn about the doctrine of who you are. May we not let it go in one ear and out the other, but Lord, may we absorb it and learn from it. And Lord, may we mold our lives around this, these doctrines, these important truths of your word. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for those that are here. I pray that you put a measure of blessing and grace on their life. I pray for those that are watching at home, God, that you put a measure of grace and blessing on theirs as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Everyone loves a good homecoming story. And how many of you, when maybe you were younger, uh, maybe in college days or those kind of days, you would come home maybe early and surprise your parents or you'd surprise your family? And we all love those homecoming stories. I think about the United States military and oftentimes a uh, a military person will come home deployed. And and if you want to cry for a while, go online and watch those homecoming stories. I got to tell you a secret. I played the video for the first service today. I'm not going to play it for this service because I lost the crowd for like 30 minutes. They were just bawling their eyes. Eyes out. And so, you know, we make mistakes. Amen. And so look it up later. But I mean, these are great home. These homecoming stories are great and they're wonderful. And there's nothing like being at home for Christmas. But may I say that all of the mortal homecoming stories you could put together pale in comparison to the homecoming story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he came, meant more than anything else in history. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Why is this homecoming story so incredible? Why is this birth announcement so powerful? Why did Christ come to earth in the first place? Today I have three simple and, I think, from the Word of God, powerful, powerful answers to these questions. Why did Jesus come back, or why did Jesus come to earth in the first place? Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus came first to reveal himself. He came to reveal himself. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This phrase in this verse, while it might sound simple to us, it holds within itself a very complex, unique, and amazing truth. Jesus Christ himself was both God and man in one person. 100% God and 100% man coexisting together. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. For unto us, a child is born and a son is given. John chapter number one, verse 18 tells us, No man hath seen God at any time. Only the begotten son, which is the bosom, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. Imagine with me for just a moment, you lived 700 years ago. You lived in the time, or longer now, but lived in the time of Isaiah the prophet. You had never obviously seen God. All you knew about God was what the Old Testament, uh, the parts of the Old Testament that you had up until this point. Maybe you had the Pentateuch and maybe uh, some of the Psalms, and but you did not know who Jesus Christ was. You didn't really understand that full picture of the redeeming Christ coming, but you knew a Savior would come. But you did not know God. Imagine with me for a moment that was all you knew about God. How would you imagine God? How would you relate to him? Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, what we view of God. You see, no one, not one person throughout all of the history of man knows what God looks like. The Bible said, man hath not seen God at any time. Moses got close on the mount, on mount Sinai, but he didn't see God's face. As a matter of fact, just seeing the backside of God made his skin shine. We know that nobody has seen God. And, and the truth is, is we're not really capable of understanding the character of God. How could we? In Christ, when he came as a baby, in Christ was revealed to us the character of God. In Christ, as we read our Bibles and we learn who Christ is, we learn who God is. As we see how Christ related to others, we learn how God's heart relates to us. In Christ, God has revealed himself to mankind. In this first phrase, unto us, a child is born. Letter A, we see his humanity is revealed. I don't know about you, but I don't get tired of the Christmas story. I love it. I love hearing about it. Jesus is born in Nazareth, the ghetto, the wrong side of the tracks. What could possibly, what good could possibly come out of Nazareth? A a powerful being. An angel comes to this little girl, Mary, who's espoused to a man, but herself, she's a virgin, and the the angel comes and says, you're going to bring forth, because of the Holy Spirit, you're going to bring forth God in the flesh. She can't wrap her brain around it. And then the angel tells Joseph, here's this poor family, and they don't know what's going on. And and then Christ is born in a manger. We're talking about an outside stall meant for animals. This doesn't seem like much of a homecoming for a God, but it is a homecoming fit for a man. We see all the trappings of the flesh. We see the poor. We see the stress. We see the pregnancy. We see the issues and the problems. We see the humanity of Christ in his birth. The Bible says that Jesus was 100% man. He ate. He slept. He was 100% man. He was tired. He got hungry. He thirsted. He was born. I find it very interesting that God chooses to reveal himself. You understand that God can do anything? How many understand that today? (laughs) Whatever he wants to do, he can do. But God decided to reveal himself to us in our own form. Not only that, but Jesus, brother Asprelli, didn't descend from heaven the way he ascended. He didn't come down from heaven as a fully uh, grown human being in his majesty and glory. No, he came as a child. God chose to send his son to experience the human condition from infancy to adulthood. You say, why did he do that? God reveals himself to us by becoming us. Look at the next phrase. We see that unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given. Now, a child being born is pretty normal. We have kids born in our church all the time. And when a child is born, it's like, all right, woo-hoo! It's exciting, but it's pretty normal. What was normal about this? What was abnormal about this? This next phrase, unto us a son is given. Now, of course, in In Isaiah's context, he's talking about his own people, the nation of Israel. Unto us, a son is given. What is important about this son, letter B, I see, that in this phrase, his deity is revealed. Take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter number two. Would you go there with me, Colossians chapter number two? We're gonna see something very important about Christ that I think most of us know, but it's important that we know where the Bible says it. Because the Bible does say it, we should know what it says. But when Christ was born... He revealed something about God that had never been heard of or seen before. The power of God was being manifested in a human form. Inside of Christ, we find the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead being the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There are three that represent God, and they all three are one. And so we see here, look at verse 6 with me of Colossians 2. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. I hope today you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord. Look at verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Notice verse 9 and read it with me. Ready, begin. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ, he revealed to us the Godhead. Jesus told his disciples, I must go away from you, because if I don't go away from you, the Spirit will not come. Jesus left the earth and gave the Holy Spirit, who now works in us and through us today. And so we understand that in Christ, he was the God, the Godhead, Uh, Take your Bibles and go to John chapter number one. Let me show you one more place where we find this. And I'm showing you these things today because the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world would like to say that Jesus was not God. He was just a teacher. He was just a good man. Uh, He was the best at, he was the best Buddhist. He was the best Mormon. He was the best Jehovah's Witness. No, he wasn't. He was God. And all God's people said, I said, he was God. He was God, brother. Let me tell you. He was God's sister. There's no, there's no in between. And so look at 1 John chapter number one. Uh, we see here, it says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and, in, and the Word was with God. And all God's people said, amen. That Word is talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God. When was the Word with God? In the beginning. When was the beginning? In the beginning. So Jesus existed from the beginning. Are we all here? Are we all together on that? Amen. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, if you have a different translation today, you yeah, be careful what translation of the Bible you use because in some translations, they add a little word there, but it changes so much. They add the word a, the word was a God. That's a popular religion today that will use that translation because it de deifies or Undefies. I don't know how to say that exactly. Takes away the deity of Christ. But in our Bible, it says the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. Now, notice this. All things were made what? How many know Genesis chapter number one, verse one? Why don't we quote it together? In the beginning, God created the heavens. So, who created the heavens and the earth? What does this verse say? All things were made by who? The Word. And without him was not anything made that was made." In him, Christ was life and the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This was the true light, which lighteth every man that come in the world. John says, verse 10, he says, he was in the world, talking about Christ. You say, well, it's talking about God. No, it's not. Well, it's not talking about God the Father, it's talking about God the Son. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, Christ was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the word, what? Was made flesh. The word that existed in the beginning with God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we, look at what it says here, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible so emphatically tells us that Jesus is God, to deny His deity would be to deny Scripture altogether. Matthew chapter number one, verse 23. We love this verse, especially at Christmas time. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The virgin birth, which we believe, by the way, that Mary was a virgin. Indeed, uh, she was that way. And you must believe that if you believe the Bible. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. But there's a there's a philosophy today that Jesus was not God. He was just a really cool dude. I don't particularly ascribe to everything that C.S. Lewis said, but I tell you, he made a quote that, that really resonates with me. Listen to this. He said, I'm trying here, this is from his book, Mere Christianity. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Christ. Here's the saying. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him. I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who thought he was a poached egg or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You cannot, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him. You can kill him as a demon. You can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. The Bible emphatically tells us that Jesus is God. His revelation to us, we call the incarnation. God becoming flesh. The miracle of his homecoming is Emmanuel. Take your Bibles. I gotta take you to one more passage uh, in this point. Go to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. If you're with me, say amen. 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 I know this is a doctrinal message, but we need doctrine. Amen. Go to Philippians chapter number two, and we're gonna go to verse five. If you're there, if you're there, look at your neighbor and say, Hallelujah. Amen. Look at your other neighbor and say, I need some money. I'm hungry, amen? (laughs) Look at Philippians chapter number two. Look at verse five. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, don't skip that, who being in the form of God, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. You understand for him to take upon himself the form of a servant Implies that he existed before he took on himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, the things of heaven and things of earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ emptying himself of all but love, pled for Adam's helpless race. In his deity, God has given him a name which is above every name, Emmanuel, God with us. If someone came up to you tomorrow, now stick with me here just for a second. Don't don't let me lose you here. If someone came up to you tomorrow and said, just so you know, I'm just letting some people around the office know I'm God. You'd say under your breath, crazy. Crazy. If somebody came up to you and claimed to be God, you would think they were crazy. At the very least, you would say, prove it, prove it. Can I just tell you today that Jesus proved he was God? Only God can walk on the water. Only God can calm a storm with just a word. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can heal a blind man with his spit. Only God can cleanse a leprous person by just speaking. Only God can call to a dead person who's in the tomb for three days and they walk out like nothing happened. Only God can do those things. God proved himself over and over again. Isn't it interesting how the Pharisees asked him, who do you say that you are? And Jesus said, are you blind? I'd heal you if you're blind, but you know. Jesus came to himself first to reveal himself. Secondly today, and most excitingly I think for us, is Jesus came to redeem mankind. He came to reveal himself, yes, he is God and man, but he also came to redeem mankind. Take your Bibles please and go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If it's the beginning of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 and uh, look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. We understand in this culture, the espousal process was a little bit different than ours. She was, she was married to Joseph, but not married. She was espoused. It was almost like an engagement period period. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Here we have the miracle of the virgin birth, verse nineteen, the Immaculate Conception, I guess you could say uh, verse nineteen. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Joseph was a just man. he didn't want to divorce uh, to to end this engagement the holy the Holy uh, Spirit came to him and said. Uh, Look at verse 20. He said, while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, notice this, thou son of who? David, we'll come back to that. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. And read the next part with me. Ready to begin? For he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus came to save you and me from our sins. This is why this is the greatest homecoming ever, because he took away our sins. Have you ever considered why did God decide this whole process? Why didn't God just say, you know what? Believe in me, you can be saved. Why did he send Jesus to go through this process to be born and to die? It seems like a complicated process, but there is a simple answer to it. It's found in Romans chapter number six, for the wage of sin is death. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but God cannot die. It's impossible. How could God redeem us and pay our sin debt without dying? Because death is the only acceptable payment. The Bible tells us the Old Testament sacrifices were not good enough. There needed to be a sacrifice made. So Jesus was sent, God's only son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, His manifestation of Himself, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. If Jesus did not come and He was not a sinless sacrifice, you and I would still die in our sins. Simply put, God sent His Son to our home so that His Son could take us to His home. His homecoming ultimately means our homecoming. Christ came to reveal himself to mankind. Christ came to redeem mankind to himself. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. 1 Thessalonians chapter four. I'm almost done with this point. And the next point is quick. And then you can be on your way to a strawberry milkshake or wherever you go to lunch. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that, Jesus died and rose again. That's talking about the gospel. Even so them which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Notice that? With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Hey, there's a great homecoming coming for us. I don't know, maybe you have in your life many people that have died in Christ. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise. And those that are alive and remain when he returns... We're going to meet them in the air. You talk about a homecoming. You talk about a, a, a time of rejoicing. You talk about a wonderful time because Christ came and redeemed us and he died on the cross. He shed his blood. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins because he came to us. We're going back to him. Amen. We see he came to reveal himself. He came to redeem mankind. And then lastly today, verse, uh, number three here in verse seven, we see he came to reign on the throne of David. He came to reign on the throne of David. Look at verse 6 with me. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and then his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now I want you to look at verse 7 with me. Don't skip it. Look at what it says. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be what? No end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with the judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This phrase that we see the government shall be upon his shoulder. I wish Jesus was the president. Let me say, Pastor, I'd vote for him. Amen. I have some good news for you today. There's coming a day where Jesus will be the president, and not just of the good old US of A. He'd be the president of the earth. Amen. For many years, I interpreted this passage to mean that the government would oppress Christ, but I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what it's saying is that Christ someday will accept the responsibility to govern. The government will be upon his shoulder. Christ will take on himself, the leadership, the government of the world. Isn't that what Christ told us to pray? He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What will happen when Christ rests the government on his shoulder? Well, it says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. God made David a promise that one would come and would sit on his throne. He also promised David that he would establish his throne forever. Christ will come and he will sit on this eternal throne. God, by the way, never breaks his promises. Christ indeed is in the lineage of David. We just read that a few moments ago. And Christ indeed will sit on this throne forever. As we read the Bible and we see how it goes uh, so seamlessly together, it becomes truly amazing to us. But here's the exciting part. How long is Jesus going to sit on this throne? There will be no end. say, Pastor, when is this going to happen? When is Christ going to come and sit on his throne? We celebrate Christmas. It's a wonderful time of year. This is the, it was the greatest homecoming ever, Christ coming. But guess what? There's two acts to his homecoming. He came once to be born, to die, to go up into heaven, but he's coming again. And you talk about a homecoming. You see, the virgin birth, Christmas, the cross, the resurrection, this was only part of this homecoming. There's a second act to follow. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's going to be an act that you, you don't want to miss. You see, the first homecoming, he came in humility, and then in the second homecoming, he will come in glory. In his first coming, his deity was veiled in humanity. At his second homecoming, his splendor and majesty will be revealed. In his first homecoming, he was the lamb that was crucified. At his second homecoming, he will be the Lion to reign in righteousness. In his first homecoming, he was born in a lonely manger, but in his second homecoming, he will descend from heaven with a shout. In his first homecoming, he was rejected and despised of men, but at his second homecoming, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At his first homecoming, he was wronged, he was hung on a tree, unjustly so, but in his second homecoming, he will make all wrongs right. At his second coming, he will wipe all tears away from his eyes that his second coming, all injustices will be made right again. You see, the first homecoming is something to celebrate, but his second homecoming is something you don't want to miss. And you won't, by the way. Charles Spurgeon said this, Moreover, the great scheme of redemption requires Christ's return. It is a part of that scheme that he came once with a sin offering. He should come a second time without a sin offering. That he came once to redeem, he should come a second time to claim his inheritance, which he also dearly bought. He came once that his heel might be bruised. He comes again to break the serpent's head with a rod of iron and dash his enemies to pieces as a potter's vessel. He came once to wear a crown of thorns, but he must come again to wear the diadem of universal dominion. He comes to the marriage supper he comes to gather his saints together. He comes to glorify them with himself in the same earth where, he once, uh, where uh, once he and they were despised and rejected of men. Understand this, that the whole drama of redemption cannot be perfected without this last act of the coming king. He came, this homecoming, to reveal himself. 100% God, 100% man. He came to redeem man to himself. I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner. I could not pay for this sin on my own, but Christ came to redeem my soul so that I could be with him someday. He came to reign on the throne of David for eternity. God never breaks his promises, and someday he will come again. Let's pray together.